0: hi everyone welcome back to the understand the bible podcast we're continuing our series in micah today we're looking at micah chapter 4 and we're thinking about how god often does things his plans are often plans that we wouldn't have we find ourselves in things happening which we don't really expect to happen and we wonder where god is and that's what we're thinking about in micah chapter 4 how we are looking at the way that god does things is very different to the way that we expect him to very often and just to remind you once again that there is more content available on YouTube that you can have a look on the YouTube channel and I've done I do a regular a weekly Bible study there but also there is a firm foundations course going on. And there is a, uh, currently we're looking at who God is and we're thinking about God being infinite and eternal. That's the last couple of weeks. You might be interested in that, and that is only on YouTube. And if you'd like to support Understand the Bible, there is a whole page to help you do that. Particularly, I'd love people to pray and people to to support financially. And you can look uh, down below in the description and you can see there's a link there. There's a page on the website all about it. So thanks so much everyone for listening to me. I hope that you enjoy and appreciate the sermon and I'll see you again next week. Well, you know, sometimes you see people share these um, pictures online on um, social media or or what have you, um, that uh, there was one the other week where someone shared a picture of the difference between the way that we expect life to be in the way that we expect God to do things compared to the way that he actually does and this particular picture had um you know it was uh, the start and the end and uh, there was a straight line between them you know saying well we expect it just to be a straight line that you know God's promises or everything could happen it just happens you know directly in a straight line and that's very different to the way it actually happens. You know, there's all sorts of ups and downs, it's a big squiggly line, and it, you know those um, little graphs of an earthquake, you know, it just goes up and down all, all over the place. That's how it actually looks like in life, you know, the way that God's plans often work out. And I think there is often a big difference between the way that we think God's plans are going to work compared to the way that they actually do happen, um, the way that God actually works them out. And that's something that I think comes over quite strongly in Micah chapter 4 as we think about this. Um, So Micah chapter 4, it starts out with the the promise, if you like. It starts out with the the vision of what the end goal is going to be, verses 1 to 5. So it says, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, um, it will be exalted above, above the hills and people will stream to it. So it will be you know, the, the, the mountain of the Lord's temple, you know, symbolic of where God dwells with his people. It will, be, it will be raised up and everyone will see. And it says peoples will stream to it. Peoples will see that that's where God is. And there'll be just a, a flood of people coming in to, to be there. And it goes on, many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Uh, He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So people will have this hunger and thirst for God's ways, for righteousness, and they will want his word, they will want his laws, they will want to hear what he has to say. And that's what... Uh, that's what what will happen. And um, and the result of this, it says, will be, he will judge between many peoples. Um, they will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So there will be peace. And it says, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. So there'll be there will be peace among the nations, and peace in... Uh, amongst people, if you like, and kind of prosperity. So everyone's sitting under their own fig tree. It's a picture of, of peace and prosperity, of kind of um, you know, personally and corporately as a world. Uh, and I, I thought, you know, there's a big contrast in here, in here between the false prophets that we were thinking about uh, two weeks ago. Think about uh, chapter 3, verse 5. Um, as for the prophets who lead my people astray... They proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. I think what a contrast, you know, the peace that God brings, which leads to that prosperity, or actually saying, I'm going to make war upon you if you don't feed me, and if you don't give me the things that I need. Um, And it's, it's the complete opposite, really, isn't it? And I think it shows the difference between... God's ways of achieving something and people's ways of achieving the same thing, but we'll we'll come back to that thought. Uh, Then it says there, verse um, verse four: the Lord Almighty has spoken. There is a certainty. God's pronounced it. This is a promise. This is what God's going to do. He's spoken. It's done. You know, God never goes back on His word. And so, verse five then is how the people respond. It says, All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. And that's, um, someone said this was like the, the liturgical response, you know, like we have in, sometimes in, uh, in church. You know, we say these words all together, and it's, it's like the people are saying that. You know, we've heard, we believe in the promises of the Lord. This is what he's going to do, and we trust in him. Um, so then that's the the sort of the introduction. The the rest of the chapter then looks at how things are going to to actually work out. Um, Verses six to eight, you have a sort of reversal of fortunes. Um, So verse six says, in that day I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I think this is a fascinating piece. I will assemble the, uh, the lame and the exiles those I have brought to grief. It's a change of, of fortunes. It's, it's, it's actually a reversal of what God has, uh, has has done. I will gather them up again. You know, I brought them to grief, but I will gather them up again. And he says, I will make the, uh, the lay my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. You think about the promise that God gave to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. You may know the promise that God gave to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. That was the promise that God gave to his people. And that's the enduring promise, which is still true today for for his people, for those who uh, believe and trust in the Lord Jesus. He's still doing it. He's still bringing that blessing. Um, So this is a fulfillment of the plan God had already that God had already um, given, of the promise that God had already made. Um, And he says, uh, Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem, that the former dominion will be restored, kingship will come, and it will be forever. It says verses 7 and 8. So there will be a king who makes everything right. There will be a king who makes everything right. And that's significant. I'm sure, as I say that, you're thinking, "Ah, I know who that is." Um, but just hold that thought again for a moment, and we'll we'll come back to that in a minute. So then, in verses nine to thirteen, the rest of the chapter, we have this kind of um, tension here between those promises that God has that God has made and what is actually going to happen. ...to the people of Israel at the time. This is what um, he goes on to say in verse 9. Why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your ruler perished that pain seizes you like that of a woman in labour? They're about to go into exile. Presumably that was when Micah was prophesying. It was prophesying before the exile to Babylon. And that's why he goes on to to talk about it there in verse, uh, verse 10... He must go to Babylon. And maybe they're thinking, you know, well, is no one in charge? Is no one in charge here? You know, why is this happening? And they're crying out in, in pain. But what Micah says is that that crying out in pain is like the cries of a woman in labour. And that's a well-chosen um, uh, metaphor, because elsewhere in the Bible that image is used, but it's used in a certain way. So uh, Jesus says that in uh, John chapter 16, for example, John chapter 16, verses 21 to 22. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice." No one will take away your joy. So there's that image there of the woman in labour. But it's, it's so that something greater may happen. You know, this is a time of, time of grief, time of pain, but there, it is uh, coming, the time of joy. Similarly, in, uh, in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 22, the same image is used. Uh, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Again, the pains of childbirth, knowing that this is pain at the moment, but there is something coming which will wipe all the pain away. And I think that is what Micah is saying here about what the people are, are, the pain that the people are experiencing. Yes, there is pain, but there is a joy coming, a fulfilment coming, which is going to wipe all that pain away. That's what he's saying to them. So then he, he continues back in, in Micah chapter four. He continues in verse ten, Ride in agony, like a woman in labor. For now you must leave the city, uh, you'll go to Babylon. So that, that's the, the pain that they're going through, going away, being exiled to Babylon. And as we've thought about this as we've been going through Micah, the exile is the, the judgment of God. But he goes on, there you will be rescued there the lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies so they're going to go through that exile but it is actually there exactly there where they're going to go for exile where god will redeem them where god will rescue them actually that pain that they go through will be the moment of rescue for them now the nations of course have um, different ideas and this is what he goes on to say, verse 11. Many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. They're saying, this is our moment. The nation's saying, this is our moment of victory against, against the, God's people, against God. But he says, verse 12, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. That He has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Saying they don't know they don't understand God's plan. That actually God is going to, uh, to gather them like sheaves. You know, it's, they think it's their moment of victory against God and against his people, but it's not. Actually, it's the other way around. It's the moment of God's victory uh, for his people. And uh, he's confident in verse 13 that the people will be victorious. Um, God says, um, rise and thresh, I will give you horns of iron. I'll give you whose bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations, uh, and so on. So it's a confident of victory. So what do we make then of this passage? Um, How do we understand it? I think the first thing to say, and this is an important thing to say in today's day and age, is that God has a better vision for the future than we do. As we were thinking about in the first part, Uh, I was thinking the other day of um, that verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. I've been reading through 1 Corinthians recently uh, where it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. That's the vision of the future that God has, which is better than anything that your eye could dream up. Now, why is it important to say that? I think it's because we are living in days when a lot of people have got a lot of ideas about what's good for us and for the world and a lot of those ideas are you know people are pursuing those ideas in all sorts of different ways you know politically personally um, you know you look at the number of people who play the lottery for example and think that winning the lottery will change their life that money will change their lives um, or, or all of those sorts of things, you know, people who are, um, think that shopping or think that, you know, all of those things will be the way that, that we achieve, um, you know, happiness and contentment. But actually, God has a different idea to us. And it's not that the things that people pursue are necessarily bad, but that we pursue them in the wrong ways without God. And God himself has got a better idea of what is good for us and a better, a higher vision of what is good for us and what will make us content and happy than we have for ourselves. And it's not a vision that we need to pursue politically, but it's a vision that we need to pursue spiritually. You know, we, we pursue God. And that is, that is his vision for us. That's something that he gives, a promise that he gives. And the second thing is, it's important to remember that the ways of achieving that that his plans are not our plans, are not our ways. As he says, they they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, they do not understand his plan. That often God's plans for blessing for us personally or in in a wider scale as a society, involve hardship and involve suffering. You think of Jesus, you know, the cross comes before the crown, It says in in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that's something that we learn as Christians, isn't it? That if we want to, if you want to bear the crown, we have to endure the cross. And we know that that is true, don't we? We have to go through the pain of the cross, of dying to our old selves, of rising to new life, uh, before we can actually uh, have the blessings Which God wants, but he leads us through that time because he knows it is uh, good for us, it is actually better. You know, you think of of what it might be like with a child, for example, if you had a child who, um, you know, you knew that the only way of, if they had a disease, you know, the only way of curing them would be to get them to take a very horrible medicine. You know, you would make sure that they took the medicine, wouldn't you? And I think it's like that with a bit like that with us and with God. Sometimes we need to go through that pain in order to get to the, the other side, the hills on the other side. And I think this is often the way that God likes to work. You know, just to show it is his glory at work. It is him who's done it. It's not our own achievement. But that you know often the darkest moments are the moments when God's light and power kind of break through strongest because it shows that it's not our own strength, it's not our own power which has achieved it, but it is God's power and God's strength. And if you look at the history of uh, revival in the world, then think about um, John Wesley. You know, John Wesley didn't come... The world wasn't all perfect and nice when John Wesley was, was born and when he started his ministry. But it was through him that God brought a real change into the country. And it was the darkness in the country which... Brought, brought, uh, sort of gave the opportunity for God's light to shine. And which is why I'm hopeful about what is happening um, at the moment in society. Although there is a lot of darkness, this is perhaps a moment where God's light can shine out more brightly. So what do we need to do? And the thing that we need to do is, I believe there in verse five, it says, uh, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. And that's what we need to resolve to do. We need to say, we know there are um, many things we don't know. There are many paths that we, we go down, which we don't understand, which we perhaps don't recognise, which perhaps do have pain. But we say, we are going to walk with the Lord because he has got that promise. And it is a promise of that perfect world Where there is peace peace among nations peace in our lives prosperity all of that he is the one who holds the answer to every dream every longing that we have and so we are going to walk with him and as we as we said back in the start at the end of the day all of this is fulfilled in jesus christ if i just uh turn to uh finish with this turn to one peter uh, chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is what he says. "But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Everything in Micah chapter 4 is fulfilled in Jesus. It is saying, He is the King, He is the King who reigns forever. He is the one who draws people to Himself, He is the one who was lifted up. And He is the one who makes us into a people. He is the one who makes us into a holy people to serve God and uh, who belong to him who proclaim his praises for bringing us out of darkness into light so let's give thanks to him and let's uh, resolve to walk with him stick with him and serve him no matter what paths that he takes us down no matter what pain it may bring for the short term we know it will be uh, in the long term it will be uh, the crown and let's take a moment to pray Heavenly Father, we thank you that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And we pray that you would help us uh, as we walk through life with you to remember that you have um, better uh, goals for us than even we would have for ourselves if we walk with you. And we pray that you would help us to walk with you and trust you uh, with our Lord forever and ever. And that you would help us to Uh, to remember that we need to bear the cross if we are to wear the crown. Please help us day by day. And uh, we pray that many others would see, um, our friends and family, our neighbours, those in this country, Lord, and across the world, would see the importance of coming to Jesus and how uh, we need to walk with you. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Amen.